From across the dune, the orc patrol has noticed your party and is running right at you. It's your turn. All right. I run towards them and sneak attack. They'll never see me coming. <laughs> so you can't do that. Your party's like 100 feet away. That and you don't have advantage. It's right here on my character sheet. Sneak attack. Sneak attack. Yeah, no. You can still make a ranged attack, though. What? Stupid no sneak attack. You know what? I'm just going to use my cunning action to hide instead. What? Where? Where are you going to hide? You're in the middle of a desert. I can't hear you. I'm hiding. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about dealing with rogues and their sneaky sneakiness. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And we're starting a new little occasional series uh, with the show that we're just going to call Dealing With. And it's really to talk about um, individual classes and what to do uh, with their specific specific particular skills or spellcasting abilities or whatever, and to, to help make a campaign interesting for those classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, these are really important things to deal with. Um, you know, as we all know, you're you're more than likely going to have more than one type of character, uh, like race or class, within your group of players, and it can be challenging to know in what ways to accommodate their individual um, player needs. So this is really a nice, helpful tool if you really want to get into the nitty gritty and kind of just know how to intermittently uh, interject those accommodations. Yeah, and and part of the reason for deciding to um, to start this little series is I've seen a lot of people on various uh, groups on Facebook or or um, Discord servers mm-hmm. basically saying, "Hey, I've got this player that is." X class and they've got this skill and they're just decimating enemies and I feel like they're overpowered. So I'm going to take that skill and I'm going to do these things to it. So it's not as powerful. Mm -hmm. And, and in my mind, that is probably not the way to proceed uh, because each class is going to have their strengths and weaknesses. So I think it helps to talk about what they are so that we all understand why somebody does X amount of damage with one hit um, versus Joe, the Joe, the whoever who doesn't. <laughs> and, and you know, this goes both ways. You know, when it comes to like these types of episodes that we're doing, it's not just about how the campaign works around these characters. It's also how those their, those characters, skills and abilities affect your campaign as well. Because a lot of people don't necessarily think about, hey, I made this campaign without necessarily, like you said, thinking of, uh, you know, those particular character traits and how they affect the overall storyline. Yep, yep. And, and so the way that the the episodes are going to be structured is we're going to typically be dealing with usually about the first five levels of, of character class. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where where I, I feel like is the sweet spot for most people playing. Yes, people go above those levels, but I feel by that time, you're probably used to having this type of class in your campaign and, and can probably deal with it moving forward. Um, for, a, for a DM that's new, that has uh, one level one through five, there's a lot of things that change each level. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that we address those things as we go forward. For sure. And and when it comes to this particular one, the rogue, um, you definitely have uh, an exponential amount of experience compared to me. Um, you were actually my first rogue that I ever came across. <laughs> well, and I, I, I will say <laughs> rogue. That, that rogue is probably one of my favorite classes to play just because depending upon how you decide to play it. It can be very versatile. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. So, so let's, let's delve. <laughs> get to it. 
Yeah, let's <laughs> <delve> into it. <laughs> um, we're going to kind of talk about some of their special features first. And uh, uh, Felicia, I'll let you go ahead and kick it off. Yeah. And so just for everyone's um, awareness, you know, we will be covering the special features um, in both Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, just so that we kind of cover those nuances between the two, because there are significant differences to acknowledge. Um, Absolutely. First things first is lock picking or lock picking. Hmm. Uh, like Golem, man. That locks picking. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but typically, you know, rogues have a very specific you know, very specific things are known for lockpicking is a very common one. Um, in Dungeons and Dragons, um, D&D, you'll have the thieves tool, uh, of which you will have a proficiency in. Um, anyone can technically buy the thieves tools, but your rogue is going to be the one that has the proficiency in it. So they're going to be the bestest in the group when it comes to how well they can pick locks, um, and do those types of things. Uh, they also have, um, well, actually, you know, I was moving into Pathfinder. I don't know if you want to cover that or not, but. Sure. Pathfinder is a little bit different mm-hmm. in that you do have to be trained in the disabled device skill. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you if you have characters that aren't trained in it and and rogues typically are, I believe that's a character uh, character feature as of a rogue. Um, if you don't have it, you won't be able to do it. So it's not like you can just go buy the the toolkit and and make things happen um, hmm. by by poking it with the with the pick or <laughs> the ring or whatever. It's bound to work eventually. <laughs> That's how lock picking works, right? <laughs> uh, but it, th- this is actually one of the features that is kind of um, um, just a characteristic that has always been there with thieves and rogues mm-hmm. whatever they were called depending upon the version and typically if 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 uh if you ask anybody um what what they think of when they think of a of a rogue in in D&D or Pathfinder this is going to be one of the skills that comes to mind for sure yeah um the other character trait to keep in mind is the sneak attack mentioned sneaky, in sneaky. our skit i know sneaky sneaky sneaker um and this is actually very fairly similar between uh, between the two games, and yes, that yes. Every, every two levels you get to add an additional d6 of damage for mm-hmm. sneak attack mm-hmm. damage. Um, um, and this is actually this was kind of where the genesis of the idea for the for the dealing with campaign uh, uh, series came from was mm-hmm. somebody saying, "Oh, my rogue is doing too much damage; they're just blowing things away before anybody gets there." <laughs> but there's a couple of things that you do need to understand about about sneak attack uh, for D and D. You do either have to have advantage, or you have to have an ally next to the enemy that you're attacking. Not across um, the field. Yeah, you, not across the field. <laughs> um, you can't just walk up to some enemy and whack them with your sword when they see you right there. And then, hey, I got a sneak attack on you. Yeah, you can't hide in the box. <laughs> yeah. So it is very uh-huh. situational um, to be aware of. Yes. Um, and I think for Pathfinder, you said it was it was um, a little, there's a couple of other little nuances that we had realized that there was differences between. And when we started researching those differences, I was I was quite interested to to see what those were. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, if your enemy is going to be denied a, dex, a dexterity bonus to their AC, or if you're flanking the enemies. So the flanking is kind of similar to what, what they say in, in D&D, um, except it, with the fact that you do have to be on opposite sides of the enemy in Pathfinder, where you just have to have an enemy next to um, next to your uh, your enemy, uh, or ally next to your enemy in, in uh, D&D. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But what I would say is this is one of those skills that you really don't want to um, take down a notch uh, because while it may seem like when when they when your your rogue whips out four di- four d sixes to roll dice to do damage with their sneak attack, it may be like oh my gosh, they're just gonna they're gonna outpace the entire party. Um, the thing to keep in mind is that rogues don't get a second attack. Um, Mm -hmm. they don't get a third attack, fourth attack, anything like that, where you, if you have fighters and barbarians, they can get those extra attacks, Mm -hmm. um, where your spellcasters can get the very heavy, uh, heavy damage spells. This is really the one feature of, of the rogue that really does heavy damage, but it's only at most once per turn. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so use it wisely. Yeah, and, and and that's only if you meet the criteria for using the sneak attack. Yes, exactly. Um, so after the sneak attack, the other thing is the thieves can't, the special thievey thief language. Um, yeah, we're not saying that they can't do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just the, something else, something that um, you know, I always found was fun to use in like intrigue and mystery or, you know, um, crime solving type of campaigns is always a really fun one to use for this, especially if it's involving some sort of translation or riddles. Um, You had found something that had like a little dictionary for Thieves Cant, right? Yeah. If you go to um, thievesguild.cc, they do have an example dictionary of like what you would say in English and what it would maybe be in Thieves Cant. Um, It's cool. Really... And and one thing to keep in mind is that rules is written. Thieves can't as a spoken uh, thing because it's really using slang to replace those words. It's mm-hmm. not a another language technically. Um, but that being said, you're the DM. You can have some flexibility with it. I have I have passed messages that were written to one of my rogue players and said it was in thieves can't, and so they could only read it. Um, but uh, but yeah, rules is written. It's it's just a, a spoken language. Mm-hmm. And then there's a couple of uh, extra ones from Pathfinder, I think, that you had also mentioned before as well. Yeah, so um, so uh, trap finding is is going to be um, one of those that's really specific to um, to Pathfinder, and it's going to allow a rogue, rogue to add half their level to perception checks to do things like locate traps, as well as add ha- half their level to disable device checks. Mm-hmm. Um, so. As you as you start getting higher level higher level rogues, they're going to start finding these things a lot easier. You may be like, "Oh, I was really hoping that that trap would trigger," <laughs> um, but just yeah, just keep in mind that if they have that trap finding uh, feature, mm-hmm. that it is going to um, make it easier for them them to find these things for sure. That I always group. amazed at my at, at the rogue in my Pathfinder game. I'm always amazed at the 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 high roles that they get on some of the roles for things like perception and, and, uh, and, and disabled device stuff just because of all of the, this and any other bonuses that they get for that. <laughs> You're all like high-fiving yourself. Like, yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're moving back to D and D. Um, another one to keep in mind for your rogue is the cunning action. So yeah. essentially, yes. Um, so essentially, it's a bonus action. You can choose to dash, disengage, or hide. And dash is you can move an additional amount of movement equal to whatever your movement was. So like 30 feet, then you can go that extra 30 feet. Um, disengage is really nice because you can move away from an enemy without them being able to do an attack of opportunity. Uh, and then to be able to hide, uh, you need cover, obviously. But you are allowed to hide as a bonus action. And I'll go back on that. You can hide in a box. 
I was just uh, <laughs> it was my my very lame attempt to make a Metal Gear reference. We'll just we'll just let that one slide. <laughs> yeah. So and I I think that the cunning action is one of the ones that that um especially newer DMs have a hard time interpreting. I when I yeah. first was reading through it, I was like, I don't understand. I don't like, get it. <laughs> exactly. Um uh, because you're in in battle, what are you going to hide? But but if you're if you're doing stuff like like taking um, like taking uh, ranged attacks, you could duck behind cover and and use that to hide. And then then um, based upon that, if somebody was searching for you, they they'd still have to do a contested roll against your hide roll to, to yeah. try and find you. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing to note is that you can't do all three of these. <laughs> yeah, please don't don't try. You, you only you only have one bonus action per round. And so if you use that to to disengage, you're not going to be be hiding. So, yeah, um I this is one that I would say if you're if you have a rogue in your group, really read through um what cunning action does, maybe even go online to look at some discussions around cunning action. Yeah. Uh because it is something that that if you've got somebody who who is familiar with their their skills and comfortable with them, this is actually a very valuable skill to use. Um to allow you to kind of hit and run and, and do all sorts of different things to run. be, you really hit, you hit them and you run away. You disengage and run away. Criminal. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, really make yourself familiar with the cunning action uh, because that will come into play a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so our next one that we have is the uncanny dodge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. both Pathfinder and D and D. Yep. Um, and they're a little bit different between the two systems. Yes. I think mine's cooler. Um, <laughs> but, um, so in, in D and D essentially you can use a reaction to half the damage against you, which I think is pretty cool. Cause you know, when you get up in those campaigns and you've got some pretty hard hitters, that can be a very, very, very valuable thing to have. So yes, that's the, the one I mentioned was the D and D one. It's like getting 50% off. Awesome. 50% off. Yeah. It's a sale. <laughs> Score. Sale on damage. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> Um, so for Pathfinder, again, we it, it is it is fairly different. Um, you with Uncanny Dodge, you do get it at a level earlier. So in D anD D, it's fifth, and at Pathfinder, it's fourth. It's just to make you uh, feel better. Yeah, I know. Uh, but with <laughs> Pathfinder, you can't be caught flat-footed, and you don't lose your Dex bonus to to AC if your attacker is invisible. So that's a pretty niche. Uh, thing. <laughs> usage there, but the the can't be cla- caught flat-footed. That that prevents you from having your AC dropped if somebody gets the gets a surprise on you or something like that. So um, it's still useful. I would I would say taking half the damage is I I, I kind of feel like that's still better on the D and D side, but some somebody m- might write and complain at me. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you insult the Pathfinder Rogue? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so moving on to our next uh, little section here, talking about rogue talents and uh, I look at this roguish archetypes. Yep, <laughs> and so there we we added them together because they are um, relatively kind of almost a little bit similar. Possibly, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so, so with Pathfinder, you have you have rogue talents, and so starting at second level. A rogue can get these rogue talents that uh, allows them to do a number of different things. They mm-hmm. can do things like cast magic, um, improve their stealth speed, uh, get trap disabling, additional trap disabling skills. Um, 
And they continue to gain these rogue talents every two levels. So that in itself is a little bit different mm-hmm. um, than D&D because of where when you get it and how often you get it. And you can continue to increase the number of rogue talents you have as you increase in level. Yes. Where by the roguish archetypes is a third level skill. Tis true, tis true. And, and this is actually the one section where I actually kind of liked how Pathfinder did it versus um, how D&D did it. I like the the rogue of many talents. Mm-hmm. Um, but here in D&D, you know, once you hit that third level, like you said, you pick one path. So you're a thief, you're an assassin, uh, assassin or an arcane trickster. So, um, and there might be additional ones as well, but those are the, the three main ones that you choose that gives you certain abilities within that archetype. Yeah, and and if you if you look into other other books like Xanathar's, they've got additional additional uh, roguish archetypes uh, like Mastermind, and I don't remember if everything else. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, each one of of those is going to give you kind of a a specialized set of things that that you get from that archetype. Yeah, Um, which is cool. But it 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 it. it gives you more of that specialist vibe, whereas the rogue talents, you can kind of really be that jack of many trades. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like that approach, though. But hey, whatever. <laughs> cool. I've got uncanny dodge, so we're good. Yeah, I, I would say that that um, one of the one of the things that a lot of people that play Pathfinder, especially Pathfinder First Edition, like above and beyond like a five E, is just the amount of customization and and really getting nitty gritty on doing things like picking individual rogue talents but yeah it really each one is each one is good in their own right just a matter of what what you like in your game oh thank you thank you so much john that's so comforting <laughs> I, I was doing that to comfort you I yeah hope you i feel. figured it's okay your rogue is still nice <laughs> uh, all right all right yep moving on so next feature is going to be those armor and weapon proficiencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally speaking, it's what you'd expect from somebody that's sneaky sneak. Uh, the the lighter armor uh, is what you can get get proficiencies in. Um, simple weapons. Uh, um, and if you're talking about D&D, you need mm-hmm. to have a finesse weapon for, for that sneak attack. Yes. Um, a rapier or a short sword. Short sword. Yeah, something like um, that. Short bow even, even classifies as yes. that finesse weapon mm-hmm. as well. And then, uh, you know, when it comes to the light armor, obviously, you know, you can't wear anything heavy. Uh, you know, I think this comes with the saying, obviously, light arm does not provide you as much um, protection. So um, just something to sort of keep in mind when you have your thief that you need to keep in mind with the with the armor as well. I mean, if you want to sneak, I guess, I mean, theoretically, if you had the right, if you had the right race, you could wear heavier armor, but then you wouldn't really be able to sneak. So. It would still be clanking all around. It really would. <laughs> clinking and clanking everywhere. So keep that in mind with your players. Like they need to specify. If you have a player who's a rogue and they're of a class that can handle the heavy armor and they insist on, you know, wearing that heavy armor at one time, they need to specify which armor they're wearing at a certain time in order to, you know, if they're wearing the heavy armor from battle and they never mention switching armor and you guys go into some other dim- like dungeon and they want to sneak, well, they're still wearing the heavy armor. And it takes time to switch armor. Just be aware. <laughs> Take it off. You have to like run into the phone booth and change into it and then run out. Um, small things like that that are really important, you know, and then I think especially when you get higher up levels, you know, where you're trying to find other small ways to perhaps challenge that sneaky rogue. Um, you know, you can always throw fun little curveballs like that. 
Yeah, um, but really, when you, when, you, when you factor in things like, especially in D&D, when you factor in an uncanny dodge and, mm-hmm. and things like that, um, you're less likely to really need to have um, that high AC. You're, exactly. Your goal as a rogue should be like, I'm not going to get into combat. I'll, I'll hit I'll you and I'll, I'll hit and run yeah. because you like that so much. <laughs> I'll make a ranged um, attack. I'll do it from a distance. I still got your back. It's just I'm a little further away. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll hit and run. I'll, I'll do a ranged attack, whatever it is. Uh, but you, I'm not going to get to where you can you can reach out and touch someone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It wouldn't be an episode of Becoming DM if we didn't mention our friends at Darkwind. Darkwind's sponsorship of the show helps pay for all the things that keep Becoming DM running. If you want to say thanks, go to play.darkwind.org and create a character today. Join in on the multiplayer, text-based role-playing game that you can play with friends, or if you're feeling a little antisocial, play on your own. Join and play for free at play.darkwind.org. Now let's get back to the show. All right, so we've been talking all this time about um, about the the features and and those things that make a rogue a rogue, and those are mm-hmm. those are most of them, if not all of them, between level one and five. Yes. Um. um so let's kind of dive a little bit into uh, making a campaigns that are interesting um, or challenging for rogues, and and not just campaigns, but also individual combats. Um, and, as well, yeah, as well as any sort of like individual scenarios it could be role-playing scenarios or or anything else so yeah. let's get into it, let's do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so for campaigns I, I think that that one of the ones that that probably makes the most sense um that's a really easy uh way to to involve them but also have all the other players still still heavily involved is that dungeon crawl with lots of traps for sure um yeah, they're gonna get get thrown into the front of the group and have to to search around for those traps and mm-hmm. and uh, and hopefully disarm them before anybody else lands on them. Um, but I will I will say that that one of the one of the th- my favorite things to do in a in a dungeon crawl like that where there are lots of traps and the and the players know that there are lots of traps is sure you start out and they're they're moving along at a slow enough pace that that the rogue can find them and disarm them and they can move on mm-hmm. but as you go it gets less and less likely that they can move at that pace whether they're being uh being pursued by by uh NPCs or monsters that they can't take on um, so they have to make a break for it and start running mm-hmm. or or something is time based in the dungeon and things are closing in on them. Um, having having a situation where they have to make a conscious decision between am I going to fix um, am I going to look for and try and fix the traps or are we going to run or am I going to just look for the traps? And if I find them, we'll jump over them and try and avoid them. Maybe, maybe not, but we'll know that they're there. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of booby traps. I'm like, man, like poison spikes or flames or I had one where it was like it looked like a pool of water, but it was actually like completely bottomless and there was a shark that came out. I had one that looked like a pool of water, but it was actually a uh, an ooze. <laughs> oh, an ooze. That's a good one. Oh man. I gotta use that one for my next campaign. <laughs> Thank you, John. Oh, my players beware if you're listening. <laughs> um the, the the next kind uh, of kind of campaign is going to be those stealth based adventures, mm, and, and this one is one where um, you may have to 
have the party split a little bit and have your more stealthy guys do something and and have some sort of action that the non-stealthy people can do part as part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it is possible to do it. Um, I'm thinking like a heist or a jailbreak where yes. maybe the maybe the the less stealthy have to take care of the guards at the front. And mm-hmm. then the stealthy have to actually make their way inside or something like that. Be like a Ocean's Eleven kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun. And Jailbreak is a really fun one too. In fact, it's a place where you can actually start your story. Maybe like something happened and then you guys woke up and you were in a jail cell and you need to, you know, you need to find your way out or get out in time or whatever. Um, so that's yeah. always a really fun one um, to sort of start your adventure. Yeah, I had a I had a game where uh, where the party this was not at the beginning of the game, but through a, a course of actions, they ended up in a jail cell. <laughs> but then the entire town that they were in was abandoned, and oh. they were left in the jail cell. It was them <laughs> and one other person, and they had to not only figure their way out, but once they got out, they had to figure their way through um, through the jail complex and, mm-hmm. and then the, the grounds of the government facility that they were on, it, it made for an interesting, uh, interesting adventure. Sounds fun. <laughs> um, another good idea is sort of a palace intrigue slash murder mystery. Those ones are only always really fun. You know, you got high role playing, um, you know, certain things to solve, uh, you know, riddles and, oh, you know, like, discussing between certain things and how do I convince this person? Oh, let me spy on this person. And, you know, I think it's a very roguey type of um, scenario. Very fun for those types of characters. Yeah. W- with those, um, you have a couple of options, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. One is one is being just the, the sneaking around and trying to hear people talking while being sneaky. Um, the other thing, just because rogues tend to kind of be skill monkeys, uh, if they're if they're heavily invested in some of the more social skills, mm-hmm. uh, persuasion, deception, intimidation, um, anything like that, you could also leverage it as, as a social encounter that the rogue can excel in as well. Yeah, um, I, I was like, I love I love those types of uh, stories. Those are always really fun to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, another really fun one, which I think is a really good utiliz- uh, utilization of the thieves can't is like a conspiracy, but it's something that requires your players to explore the city. So maybe there's sort of an underground network of thieves that might be able to help you sort of expand uh, your investigation. And that thieves can't is the way that you're going to get in. So I think something like that is also a really fun scenario to have um, for your rogue players. Yeah, and and thieves can can also make for a regular recurring um, recurring contact with a local thieves guild. Uh, maybe maybe the the player themselves has a has a goal of joining the thieves guild. Starting at level one, they might not be in it. Um, yeah, but they can um, they can basically have that be a be a goal where hey, I'm, I, I want to join the Thieves Guild and you can have uh, ad- adventures that jump off from there. And they could mm-hmm. be those stealth adventures. They could be uh, treasure hunting, mm-hmm. stuff like that um, to, to, to make, it, uh, make it a full campaign. Pretty fun. <laughs> um, another one that you can also try is just like maybe like a nice classical Robin Hood, steal from the rich, give to the poor kind of story. Um, those ones are really fun. And it, it's very similar or it could be tied in with like a heist. Um, or even with the palace intrigue, but you know, it's like sort of that ultimate goal is sort of like, Oh, you get the experience points and you know, the, um, reward from, you know, the end goal of, you know, helping out the poor villagers who have been taxed too much and blah, 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 blah. 
Yeah, and, and a Robin Hood style or or heist game mm-hmm. really doesn't have to be strictly focused on the heist portion, but mm-hmm. it can be a a nice piece for the rogue to to kind of add their part to the party where they have to go and and sneak in somewhere and find information about a shipment of something or transportation of, mm-hmm. of treasure or something like that, that then plays into the rest of the party um, actually stopping the stagecoach and getting crap and and having that fight or or something else like that. So when when you talk about the the campaigns for rogues, it doesn't have to be 100% focused on them. Just have have those items that they're going to excel at that, that yeah. are added into there that helps the rest of the party. The little moments to shine. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I know when I um, you know, when I have like campaigns for rogues, like when we're talking about moments to shine, I like to sometimes throw scenarios out there where I know the only way to access whatever it is the players need to access is by utilizing the rogue. And it creates kind of a little opportunistic opportunistic scenario, if you will, for one, the rogue to choose whether they're going to help, and then two, to decide whether the rogue is actually going to follow through and do right by the group or if they're going to hide something from them. Um, yeah. Those types of scenarios are sort of fun to kind of create that sort of inner... Uh, I guess inner interesting dynamic, if you will, and and, and really a, a role playing like scenario where where your 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 other players have to decide whether they're going to trust this person who may be um, legally questionable, uh, <laughs> legally uh, to, questionable to do something that's going to put their hands on a treasure before mm-hmm. the rest of the party gets to it. Um, do they trust them? Um, do should they trust them mm-hmm. or should maybe they only partially trust them <laughs> and those are fun little extra things to add in there too just for like the additional you know role-playing dynamics between your players because it's not always about you know the the relationships that they develop with the npcs you know you still have uh you know those inner dynamics that you have to consider with you know between the members of your group and stuff like that's always sort of fun to throw in there yeah, I will say that if you're going to do something like that, though, um, make sure that you have an understanding of of what players are okay with, because some people would consider sending the rogue into a building that mm-hmm. they then take a piece of treasure and stick it in their pocket, mm-hmm. um, uh, stealing from the party, which they they consider a big no no. And not other cool, people would consider cool. that part of the adventure. So yeah. it really just depends on the group and and what uh, what situations you should open up for for, sure. <laughs> for them. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about combat in the rogue, uh, mm-hmm. because and we mentioned sneak attack a little bit before, and, and some of the cunning action stuff, and 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 those things are, are definitely things that you should keep in mind. Um, I, I like to make sure that there are battlefield features um, that make hiding an option. Yeah, and, and this could ju- this could be used by people other than the rogue. It could just be used for cover uh, for other people, like uh, if you've got a ranger who's firing from. They can come out of cover and fire and then go back into cover. And, and um, it can make combat a little bit more interesting in general. But from the rogue's point of view, they can use that cunning action to hide and and really take advantage of some of that stuff. Oh, for sure. And, and it's not just only combat. Sometimes it's scouting ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know if, if you're trying to see if there is a potential um, confrontation coming your way, like in a dungeon crawl or, you know, somewhere else, like sending the rogue ahead um, to see what's going on, those types of... Um, you know, those types of geographical features, if you will, uh, are, are really useful for something like that as well. Yeah, because bear in mind that it, unless you're in the middle of a desert. Or on a dune. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty unlikely that you're going to have 
um, an area, whether they're scouting or whether they're in combat, that is completely devoid of items to that, that would provide some sort of cover. Whether it's a, if you're in a ruins, maybe it's a partially crumbled pillar. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're in a building, it could be crates, boxes, beds, all sorts of other furniture. Um, if you're out on the road, it could be trees off to the side where they could hide there. So mm-hmm. it, just bear in mind that you're not going to ha- typically have a, a, a battlefield that has nothing in it. It's not going to be like a Looney Tunes, you know, where like they try to hide behind the really, really skinny pole. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think for you, um, you were saying that, you know, um, you had some like talking about providing opportunities for flanking for Pathfinder because we were talking about how we, we need a very specific scenario in order for you to take advantage of some of those rogue features. Yeah, I, I will admit that the first time that I ran a game for Pathfinder, I did not read up well enough on the on the rules <laughs> for the rogue sneak attack. The flanking and requirements. So, <laughs> and so and honest and admittedly the player had not either. So he he always was like he was going into attack and he's like, Did I surprise them? Did I surprise <laughs> and because he thought that was the only way that that he could do sneak attack. And Aww. finally after a couple of games, I, I was like, why does he keep asking me? And I looked and was like, Oh dude, you know if you can if you go around here, you can you can get your sneak attack. And mm-hmm. and so some of that it's just coaching the players. Um I usually prefer for the players to to get their own character under them but in a case like this where it was a new player i was a new dm mm-hmm. like yeah let's let's figure this out together <laughs> yeah and and again that just goes back to you know just paying attention to those nuances because you know otherwise it could just be a weird compromising circumstance when the scenario does come up that you just don't know what the answer is so once again it behooves you to do your homework um, I would also say that from the D&D side, uh, very similar to the the whole providing opportunities for flanking, also paying attention to situations where advantage would come into play. Mm. And I don't know about you, but the D&D games that I have run, I, I really need to um, focus and pay attention to when advantage might be there because it's a it's a mechanic that I'm not 100% used to. So I don't think about it as much. Yeah, I honestly, I don't either. Um... Like I said, you were the you were the first rogue I ever had in my group. So up to the point where you started playing with me, I you know I never really had to worry about it um, yeah. for at least the rogue, anyways. So it's definitely something I think proactively as a DM, I could use work in as well if we ever do um, get another rogue onto our group. Yep. Um, and back to our skit, by the way. And it seems common sense, but we'll just say it for the sake of saying it: your rogue cannot hide in plain sight. Just saying. No. (laughs) (laughs) Just because they can't see you and cover their eyes doesn't mean you can't see them. Um, You know, which just goes back to providing those battle features. You know, I mean, like you were saying, realistically, pretty much 99.9% of the terrain that you're going to come across is going to have some feature that your rogue can take advantage of. But if you're in an open field and there is nothing around you, then, yeah, they're they're, they're not going to be able to hide. Yeah, it really, the thing is, is just breaking that line of sight so that you can actually hide. Um, I know that this is, this has been one of those things I've seen lots of questions about, about <laughs> how, why, when, when can I allow my rogue to hide during combat? It's combat. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, well, you know, it depends on the rogue and the terrain. Um, yeah. yeah. So just something to keep in mind. Um, but hey, you know, I, I think mo- for the most part, it should be pretty obvious, but hey, you know, who knows? So let's talk about 
challenging the road. We talked about some things that, that give rogues opportunities, mm-hmm. but let's talk about um, um, things that would maybe cause uh, cause a little bit more of a headache, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a challenge, because we're not all about making everybody's lives easier. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, and, and the, the first one I think I really like because um, I always, I use this often with spellcasters. So mm-hmm. you get a spellcaster on the battlefield and if you're, if they're relatively high, relatively high level, like a fifth level or higher, um, people, my, my more intelligent enemies will start to recognize spellcasters and be like, oh, that dude, he, he, he's dangerous if you leave him alone. We need to attack him. Mm-hmm. But on the same token, if your rogue just keeps on sneak attacking and just laying out enemies, um, people are going to be like, oh, this guy needs to be taken out. He's wiping out our forces. And so they'll take they, they, they could, Yeah, they could feasibly concentrate fire on the rogue rather than the barbarian that's raging amongst them. Mm-hmm, for sure. Which, you know, honestly is a tactic I, I don't actually think I've used before. So that's that would be um, that would be beneficial. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. The other, another thing is, is, is challenging locks and Mm -hmm. the locks can be challenging either from a, from a difficulty or you could add in some, some, um, logic to it that they might have to figure out again, if they like puzzles, that might be a great way to do it. And you could give them a, give them a hint based upon their disabled device role or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or even like you were saying like multiple locks, you have riddles that are connected to it. Um, maybe things that they have to gather along the way, like multiple pieces that when you piece them together, then it makes the key that they can use. You know, there's, there's different ways to go about that as opposed to just your traditional lock picking. Yeah. Making it into where it's more than just a dice roll where, mm-hmm. where things have to be put together or something other than just the lock being unlocked has to do it is, is a, is a great way to, to add a little bit more flavor and also some challenge to the rogue. And then piggybacking on that, you know, I I think we've mentioned this before about like, you know, taking inspiration from escape rooms where maybe there's a time constraint, maybe there's several things that you have to solve in order to get whatever combination that you need, kind of combining that in with the traps that you do with the locks. Um, Maybe, you know, there's a very difficult trap that, you know, they had to really roll high for when it came to perception that they missed and that trap triggered the time, you know, that countdown that they needed to figure something else in. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be more um, complicated than that. But, you know, one of those fun things is you can always do it in real time. Maybe that trap set off, you know, they have 60 seconds to figure out what to do next. And in the actual, you know, in actual real life, you have the timer. Now they have 60 seconds to figure out what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that is sort of fun to kind of add that extra challenge to someone that may have like the rogue character. Yeah. And depending upon... Um depending upon the challenge that they're doing where you've got that timer, you may decide to add a little bit more time in real life just because they have to. Well, I'm thinking they have to do things like, Hey DM, tell me about what this looks like. And then you have to explain what it looks like. We're in, 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 in game. They're just looking at the thing and understanding it looks like that. (laughs) Um, Okay. um, You may not, you may decide not to do that. You may decide 60 seconds is 60 seconds, sucker. (laughs) (laughs) You lose. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, the other thing, uh, you know, we mentioned before was about scouting ahead and let's say something happens and your rogue gets discovered as he was trying mm-hmm. to scout. Now it's like he's separated from the group. Um, and you know, he's been spotted. So now what, you know? Yep. And, and at that point it's really kind of a, 
you're you're seeing what the player chooses to do. Maybe mm-hmm. they decide to turn tail and run, uh, potentially leading them back to the to the party, uh, or maybe they're smart enough to run off in a different direction. Or maybe or they'll maybe, hide in plain sight. Yeah, they hide in plain sight. Maybe they uh, maybe they try to talk their way out of it again if they have some of those social skills that they've put uh, put proficiencies or points into. They could just like be like, "Oh, hey guys, I, I'm here to to refill your." Refill your your Brita water filter. Um, <laughs> I come in peace. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are fun scenarios just to kind of keep them on their toes, if you will. Um, one that I thought was a really good idea was maybe in that group of enemies, um, maybe there's another rogue, you know, like mm. tit for tat kind of thing, a, a Professor Moriarty to the Sherlock Holmes, if you will. Um, someone who's just as skilled, just as conniving, uh, and just maybe as even more skilled. What's that? Maybe even more skilled. You gotta Ooh, make it a challenge. Even more conniving. <laughs> um, but that's always a fun challenge. You know, what if your rogue was challenged by another rogue? Mm-hmm. And this is actually something I like to do regardless regardless of the class. Every so often I like to to put the party up against a party that's like theirs, especially on the on the rogue side. Mm-hmm. Um I like to be able to, if you're using a, a battle map, I, I will remove the rogue from the battle map because they're hidden and haven't been discovered. Ooh. And I will, in a separate place, track what their movements are. So I, I'm i not cheating and just teleporting them around the map. <laughs> but a turn or two later, they'll end up behind the players and, and trying to sneak attack them or something like that. Sneak so. attack. Were they flanking properly? Yeah, well, they were they were uh, they were they were denied their dex advantage because oh uh, they were surprised. <laughs> we're having this whole inner dialogue with year one, like rogue. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's a great way. Like, if especially if you as a DM are like, "Oh my gosh, this rogue is just—he's too much. He's doing all this stuff." Well, if he's doing so well, just use those tactics against them. <laughs> right. Well, you know, now how does it taste? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a it's a great way to to kind of expand your uh, tactical and strategic assets. If you look at what the players are doing, if they're being successful, and mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh, I could do that," <laughs> right? No, I think that's definitely a really fun way to challenge them too. And I think as a DM, it also benefits you because if you're still struggling to get to know how a rogue works or ways in which you can make it accommodating or challenging for your rogue, well, what better way to do it than to try to play the rogue yourself? Absolutely. It kind of forces you to forces you to learn it so that you can play the play the enemy. Exactly. Hmm. <laughs> well, I think that's all we had to talk about today. Um, thank you for joining us again. And uh, until next time, stay, stay nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. As always, it really helps when you share the show with friends to help increase our listenership. Send them to our website, becomingdm.com, or Facebook, we are facebook.com slash becomingdm, and on Twitter, we're at becomingdm. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.